question. To, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, and as you do, think about a time where you have gone somewhere, and I don't care where it is. It can be to a friend's house, to a, a, a movie theater, or a vacation, somewhere where you have had to type in a GPS because, or receive directions because you didn't know where you were going. And you follow those directions, you follow the GPS to said location, maybe it's a friend's house, maybe it's somebody that's living over in Locust Hill, so that would exclude you who are living in Locust Hill, but you make your way over to Locust Hill, you're visiting your friend in Locust Hill, and then it comes time to, to leave and you get back in your car and you say, yeah, I don't need the, the GPS, I've got this, I know where I'm going, and your spouse says, are you sure? Do you really know where you're going? And you're like, yeah, I've got this, I promise. And then you find yourself making circles throughout Locust Hill because you have no idea how to get out of the neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, everybody knows what I'm talking about, right? And so you're just circling around and then your spouse turns and says, why don't you just turn on the GPS? And you're like, no, I've got this. I know where I'm going. I'm not lost, just temporarily, just taking a scenic route. And, and, and then all of the direction, you're making your way. And what ends up happening? The argument begins to escalate. And why don't you just turn it on? And has that ever happened to anybody else? Or is it just confession time for me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah all right, it's good. But then... Either you or your spouse turns on the GPS, and what does the GPS do? It shows you exactly where you're at, gives you directions, and begins to show you the path home. Ideally, that, that's what it's supposed to do. Now, I, I share that silly illustration because I think it holds significant importance to the Christian life. Because if we are in Christ, if we are Christians, which the, the majority of us in this room would claim to be professing Christians, then our desire as professing Christians is to one day go home, to go home and to rest with Christ eternally, to know with the confidence that this world isn't all there is, and all the brokenness and all the pain that is in this world, it will one day be gone and wiped away and we will be home. We will be with Christ forevermore. That's the day that we long for. But my desire and really the, the purpose of, of biblical preaching is to help us get home. Is to help us get home. To persevere in the faith. To remain in the faith. To remain faithful to Christ until the end. To not, not go off course. Not get redirected. Not, not get stopped. and Not to lose our path. But to make it home. So I, I don't say this lightly, but I, I believe every week we gather in our corporate worship gathering like this. I think every week salvation is at stake. And I'm not just referring to unbelievers being present and needing salvation, though that is true. Salvation is most definitely needed in that capacity. But, but because believers or professing believers are present needing help getting home. We need help getting home. And God's plan to help us get home, to get his people home, is through the ministry of the proclamation of his word. A, a GPS, if you will. I'm not trying to be, make light of this. Because so, nothing weighs heavier on me as one of your pastors, and nothing weighs heavier on me week in and week out than 
understanding that what we're doing here on any given Sunday, when I get up and proclaim the word and preach the word, that even today's message may be God's means of rescuing you from ongoing sin in your life. Or it may be a a means of of helping prevent you from stepping into a sin that you may otherwise may step into this week. So in a sense, it's it's a stop sign. It's a detour sign. It's saying, hey, 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 this is God's way. Forget that. Forget the other stuff. Look here. Be directed here. See the path. God's word is helping prevent us from making decisions that can very well lead us permanently down a path of wickedness and destruction like we see from Judas. We want to be able to see the truth because only those who persevere to the end will be saved. Only those who remain faithful until the end will, will come home. So it's in that sense that every sermon, I believe, is a salvation sermon for every professing believer because our desire is to go home. We want to reach the end. And with that understanding, we pick up in Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive, that you may gain insight, for I, I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom and whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Hear my son and accept my words. That the years of your life may be many. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your steps will not be hampered. And if you run, You will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it. Do not go on it. Turn away from it and pass on for they cannot sleep unless they have done wrong. They are robbed of sleep unless they have made someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. The way of the wicked is is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. 
Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Now what we have here in chapter 4 is what we could call a part 1 to a a two-part message. All throughout the book of Proverbs, as we've already seen, we have the Father giving an instruction saying, Hear me, listen to me, be attentive to my words, what I'm telling you. And it's building to what we will even see next week in chapters 5 through 7. We will look at all at one time. But it's, it's building with this understanding of, Please be attentive, son. It's kind of like a parent talking to a graduate who is now in these final days. You're graduated from high school. You're moving on to this next step. And a parent is saying, be attentive here. Be attentive to my words. Don't do this. Don't do that. Why? Because this father wants his son to live. This father knows that there are two paths that he can walk. Two paths of which he could choose to take, as there are with us. Two paths of which we can walk. The path of life that leads to life and the path of wickedness that leads to destruction. The path of the righteous or the path of wickedness. And the Father is saying, I want you to choose the path that's going to lead to life. I want you to live. We look at verse 4. We see the emphasis here. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and what? Live. Verse 10, hear my son and accept my words that for the purpose that the years of your life may be many. Verse 13, keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her for she is your life. And verses 21 through 22, let them, them being these words, these instructions, this wisdom not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them. So what do we draw from all this? This emphasis, I'm saying be attentive so you will live. What, why, why, what do we draw from this? Well, what we see clearly is that obedience to the Father's instruction is imperative to living. It's imperative to living, remaining on this path. Thus, this is directly applicable to, to every professing Christian. How? How's this directly applicable? Because obedience is essential to faithfully following Jesus. Obedience is essential to following Christ. And I know that language like this can tend to scare people at times because then people start to scream out, well, you're talking about obedience, but what about grace? Well, what about grace? And then I'll instruct us to, to at another time to go and to read 1 John, just the entire letter to see what it says there. But what we understand is that obedience is the evidence that we have received grace. Obedience is not possible without grace, but obedience is the evidence that we have received grace. Obedience does not save us. We've tried to make that crystal clear, that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But if one does not have obedience, they have no evidence that they are on the path of righteousness. Who comes back to saying, what path are we on? Well, how we live gives evidence to what path we're on. We see in verse 18, the path of the righteous is like the, the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. This is the path that he speaks of is the path of life. You walk this path and you live. Not just now, more importantly, forevermore. You live forever. 
You follow Jesus now and you come home later. You come home. Thus the imperative commands from the Father. Hold fast. Keep my commandments. Keep hold. Avoid evil. Why all these imperatives? Why all of them being laid out? Because there's another path. And he knows there's another path. We see it in verse 19. The way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble. That is a horrifying sentence. They do not know over what they stumble. This is a path of destruction. It's a, it's a path of destruction. That's why in verse 25, the father is telling the son, imploring his son, let your eyes look directly forward as you gaze straight before you. In other words, he's saying, put the blinders on and keep focused directly upon Jesus. Yesterday, I watched the Preakness, watched the Kentucky Derby a couple weeks prior. I'm from Kentucky. It's in my blood. So I'm watching the, the, the horse races. And what do the horses have on? They have on blinders. Not to look to the horse to your left or look to the horse to your right. You, you, you look to the horse that is in front. You, know, you just keep looking straight ahead. Don't worry about what's there. And you focus on the finish line. Get there and get there safely. Get there, in their case, as fast as you can. I'm not saying for us to get there as fast as we can. But what we see here is we want to get wisdom, get insight, stay focused on Christ. Verse 8, prize her highly, that being wisdom. And she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Now, what type of crown are we talking here? How many of you watched the royal wedding yesterday? You got to, and some of you are like, I'm not going to admit it. I'm just going to keep my hand kind of like right here. <laughs> it's a historical event, and it was the only thing on television yesterday morning. So if you raise your hand, it doesn't mean that you were like, you woke up early with popcorn and ready to roll, all right? It was like the only thing on television because I looked for something else. Uh, it was the only thing there. But there's quite a bit of emphasis and conversation kind of sidebar about a crown. But the emphasis yesterday wasn't on the crown. It was on a love relationship. It was on, on a wedding. And we'll talk more about that in some capacity in a moment. But we, we see here that she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. What type of crown are we talking about here? Well, I think it's the, it's the crown of righteousness. You think 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. You can flip there if you like, or you can just jot it down as a note and a reference to look at later, where Paul is coming towards the end of his life. He's coming towards the end of his ministry, and he says, Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And you don't have to know a lot about Paul's life to know that Paul had a really difficult life. It wasn't easy for him to follow Christ. He faced much persecution. He was beaten. He was stoned. He, he faced imprisonment. He, he was ridiculed. He, he faced a great deal of trials. But he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's persevered. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. 
Do you love his appearing? Do you have your eyes set upon Christ? Love Christ. Cherish Christ. Here we see in 2 Timothy chapter 4 the, the promise that if we run the race and finish the race, that there is a prize that awaits us. We will be welcomed home. So the question is, is the crown of righteousness the crown you prize? Oh, better yet, is, is Jesus the prize that you prize? If so, have you kept fighting the good fight? You have to, to finish the race. You have to keep fighting. We have to finish the race. And we have to keep the faith. Not, not just for a period of time, not just for a short time, but until we get home, we have to keep the faith, to continue to faithfully walk with Christ. That's why the Lord has given us books like, like Proverbs here with imperative commands. He's telling us how we are to get home. He's telling us how to run the race. And really, it's not that overly complicated. When we really stop and look and see what he's laying forth, he's saying, believe in Jesus, set your eyes upon Jesus, follow Jesus all the way until the end and come home. That's simple enough, right? But the same question that's going through your mind is the same question that went through my mind. It's saying if it's that simple, then why is it so hard? Why is this life so hard? Why is this Christian life, I thought it was supposed to be easy when I accepted Christ. If you were told that, you were told a lie. That is nowhere found in the Bible. This life is hard. This race, this path, it's kind of filled with potholes, isn't it? And those potholes ended up looking like sinkholes. And we're driving along, we're going down the mountain on like a solid sheet of ice. <laughs> we're thinking, how do I do this? How do I maneuver? How do I stay on the road? How do I stay on the path? <laughs> and sometimes we fail to realize that our enemy is looking to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He doesn't want us to get home. He doesn't want us to make it there, but Christ does. And he'll carry us along. He's given us the instructions. He's given us the Holy Spirit. So what do we do? Well, three things. Three things. One, obey the GPS while on the path. Obey the GPS while on the path. So what's the purpose of a GPS? Basically, it's to, to get us from point A to point B, right? So we type in the address where we want to go. We can even set our preferences, can't we? And I like being able to set my preferences because there's times where I don't want to be on a toll road. And so I'll say no toll road, especially when I'm going to certain parts of, of D.C. I'm like, I do not want to pay $5 here and $5 there and $5 here. I just, I'll, I'll, I'll wait 20 more minutes and I'll go a different route. And there's other times where I've got to take the fastest route and I want to be on the fastest route. So I just put the fastest route. And there's other times where it will reroute me at various different times. All great stuff. I can even be on the road and have that craving for Chick-fil-A, you know what I'm talking about? You're on a road trip and you're driving down the road and you're like, ha ha, I really wish I had some Chick-fil-A. Well, now all I have to do is say, hey Siri, take me to the nearest Chick-fil-A. And guess what Siri does? She takes me to the nearest Chick-fil-A. And then what is my responsibility at that point? To follow her directions. So she says, take exit seven. What do I do? I take exit seven. She says, go three miles down the road. 
What do I do? I go three miles down the road. Now, I'm being, even me, in these moments, I'm tempted to be like, well, is she really going three miles? Maybe it's two miles. Maybe it's five miles. Maybe I should have turned left here. No, she says, go three miles down the road. So I need to go three miles down the road. She says, turn right into Chick-fil-A. And what do I do? I turn right into Chick-fil-A. And then what do I do? I eat Chick-fil-A. She hasn't ordered yet for me. I don't think it's gotten that far. It's probably pretty close to it. But when it basically, when it comes down to the basic concept of a, of a GPS mapping device, we understand that it exists for one of two reasons. Either the first reason is that it comes from someone who went before us and charted the way, right? Lewis and Clark making their way west. Or modern day, that's called Google Maps car, Right? You know the Google Maps car driving through the neighborhoods, coming around with a little bubble camera on top. And don't lie, every one of you are making faces at the the Google car as it drives by. Making the faces as it comes by. But it's gone before us. It's charted the way. It's making all these GPS systems and everything else possible. That's number one. Or, number two... The map is provided by the one who created the path, maybe created the neighborhood, created the park, created the path in general. And the creator of the path is saying, okay, here is how you get from point A to point B. And in this text, we have both. We have the person who has been on the path, and we have the creator of the path telling us how how to maneuver the path. We look at verses 3 and 4, where the father says, when I was a son with my father, Tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. Notice how what the father is sharing with the son is exactly what his father had shared with him. He's imparting the wisdom that he had learned from his father now onto his son. You know what that is in its most basic sense? That's discipleship. Discipleship starting within the home, training up a child in the way that he should go, she should go, teaching, training, and he's pressing into his son here, imploring him to hear, be attentive, understand, don't forget, don't go this way or that way, go this way instead. He's doing all of this partly because he knows how difficult this path is going to be. So parents of graduates, you're going to be imparting wisdom upon your children. And you're imparting that wisdom, children, young adults, now venturing off into this world. They're imparting this wisdom upon you because they have been on this path already. They've they've walked this path. And they know the, the, the potholes. And they know the sinkholes. And they know the dangers that await on this path. And they're scared out of their mind to let you go out of the house. <laughs> they don't want to see you go. And when you're when they get older or when they're young, it doesn't change. It doesn't change. We want our children to succeed and to live. And he knows, this father knows, that obeying these instructions is the only way to finish the race and live. It's the only way to finish the race and live. But it's more than just living in that context. See, essentially, what we have before us here in chapter 4 in these wise words from the Father are the wise words we hear from Jesus in John 14, 6. You remember John 14, 6? 
if you don't kind of jot it down as a note, but it's Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's Jesus saying, I'm the only path. I'm it. I am the only path to life. Now, in one sense, we, we see these words and we see believe in Jesus and you will go to heaven when you, you die. True. Believe and follow Jesus so you will not perish. True. All of that's true. But what the Father is imploring upon the Son, what God wants us to see in this is, is seeing that just living is not just believing in Christ is not just surviving. It's not just kind of getting through by the, the skin of our teeth. Just kind of, well, whew, I'm glad I barely made it. <laughs> that's, that's not what we're, we're talking about when we see this. What we don't see, we don't obey Christ. We don't obey God just to stay out of trouble. There's, there's times when our, our children or we ourselves will, will obey, but just because we're afraid of the consequences. That's not living. We obey Really obey because we treasure the one giving the directions. We know that that person, in this case, God, has our best interest in mind. It's not just affirming, yeah, I know Jesus is the only way to life. I, I, I believe that, you know, heaven is better than hell. and I'd rather go to heaven, so I'll do these things so I get to go to heaven. That, that's, that's a messed up understanding of Christianity. No, what we see is Jesus is better than anything else. Jesus is better than everything else. You look at the language that we see used here in verses 8 and 9. It's referring to wisdom. But it says, prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland and she will bestow on you a beautiful crown. The imagery here, the imagery that we have here is that of an excellent wife, a beautiful wife, a prized wife, a wife who say, embrace her, prize her and she will exalt you. She will honor you. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. It's different from the woman that we're going to see in chapters 5 through 7, the forbidden woman. The adulteress, far different. From, prize her. Prize wisdom. But notice how the crown isn't the focus here. Just like the crown wasn't the focus yesterday. The, the crown here is not the focus. What is the focus? Wisdom is. What, what's the focus? Prize wisdom. Prize her. Doesn't say prize the crown Prize wisdom. You don't prize the wedding ring. You don't prize what you, you prize your wife. You embrace your wife because it's your love for her. It's embracing her. It's prizing her that gives the wedding ring its meaning. It's what gives the wedding ring its meaning. And you prize and you embrace her to such a degree that your desire for others diminishes. And when you're not prizing her, then what happens? Those eyes begin to wander and they begin to look in different directions because you've taken them off the prize. 
It's the same thing that we see with our love for Christ. When we take our eyes off of the prize, when we're not embracing him and prizing him and all wisdom, then we can find ourselves beginning to wander. We are to prize and to embrace Jesus because we want him above all else. We don't just want to go to heaven when we die. We want Christ. We want Christ. So we embrace him as the source of our deepest satisfaction. And that is only possible because of grace. That is only possible because of the Holy Spirit working in our life, changing our hearts, working our desires. And then when we see him as a supreme source of our satisfaction, when that is the case, being satisfied in him then defeats the deceitful pleasures of sin that look to steer us off course. How? How? By the power of superior pleasure. We will always choose what or whom we desire most. Superior pleasure is our choice every time. Go the path of the forbidden woman. She has become your superior pleasure. Go the path of wickedness. Whatever that wickedness is has become your superior pleasure. And all of this in this text saying, don't do that. Don't do that. You want Christ to be the source of your superior pleasure. And when that is the case, when he is that source, we don't obey out of obligation. We do so out of desire. It's not... Oh man, I got to read his word. Oh man, I got to I got to obey these commands. Oh man, I got to remain faithful to my wife. No. It's delight. I get to come home to her. <laughs> I, I, I I I get I get to spend time with Christ. <laughs> yes. He is the treasure. And I don't know how to describe it anymore that he's a treasure to behold and I want you to know him that he is worth selling everything to obtain. But we don't have to sell anything to obtain him. He's the one who spilled his blood 100% for us and obtained us. He is our advocate for when we do sin, we come to him. Oh, church. That's point number one. Point number two, be mindful of the hazardous conditions on the path. One of the features of the GPS that I like is I like when it notifies me of traffic conditions and backups. I can, it will reroute me and tell me, hey, this way is not good and that way is, is better. And I know for you who are always traveling over the mountain every single week, you're like, that is your favorite feature because seven or nine or both are gonna get backed up from time to time and you're gonna want another path over the mountain or know that you're gonna have to telecommute from home um, on those days. So you, you like that feature. That's a good feature. I just wish that Siri would come out with a feature that would say, hey, you're about to hit a giant pothole. 
or, hey, the tire in front of you is about to blow, watch out. Like that would be a great app. That would be a great feature for the car to have. And I know they have automatic braking systems. I used to sell them. I know um, all of those type of things. But it's kind of life, isn't it? Sometimes there's going to be a pothole. And sometimes there's going to be a flat tire or a blown tire. There's going to be days we're cruising along and we've had that season of like, man, things are going well. (laughs) Things are going good. You're cruising down the road. You're you're kind of in that lackadaisical, comfortable vacation kind of mode. And then out of nowhere, bam, there's deer. There's deer. Hit you dead on right there. You hit it dead on. You didn't see it coming. So it is with trials in our life. We're just going along and all of a sudden there's a trial that comes out of nowhere. And maybe you didn't see it coming because it really did come out of nowhere. Those types of trials are going to happen in life. Scripture doesn't shy away from telling us that Christians will experience suffering in this world, seasons of suffering even, at no fault of our own. It's a part of living in a fallen world. So we have to understand this, be mindful of this, that trials will come, cancers will come, diseases will come, death will come, trials, all of those things will happen. But in those times, we continue to keep trusting in God as we talked about last week. We we don't stop and say, how can a loving God do this? We say, we look and we say, okay, I'm gonna trust in the word of God. I'm gonna continue to follow him even though I don't know what the next step is necessarily gonna look like but I know what the end is going to look like. But there are also going to be, there are going to be other times in our lives where we don't see the proverbial deer in the middle of the road, where we don't see the pothole in the middle of the road. Why? Because those times where, there are times where we just be honest, we're not taking the enemy's desire to kill, to steal, and destroy serious. We're not taking it serious enough at all. no. We develop a lackadaisical approach to walking with Christ that's not really listening to his word. It's more like the Seinfeld, Kramer, kind of yada, yada, yada. Dad, dad's talking to you. He's telling you, you know, yeah, dad, I hear you. I know. I, I, yeah, I got you. I got you. He's saying, hear me. Be attentive. Keep hold. Do not enter. But because we haven't been attentive and we're just drifting along, and we look around and we're like, how did I get here? Ever been in a spot in your life when you're like, how did I get here? Maybe you're there now. How did I get here? How did I fall into this? I, I know better. Like, how did, I, how did I get hit by that? How? Here's how. You fail to understand what is communicated in verses 16 and 17. That our enemy is not going to sleep. He's doing everything he possibly can to keep us from coming home. And what he's doing, most of all, he's looking at the desires of our own hearts and he's tempting us there. He's not making us do anything. That's what's scary, is that when we sin, we're doing what we desire most. Falling into those hazards that are right before us. So then how do we avoid this from happening in our lives? How do we avoid all this from happening? It starts with what we looked at in point number one, superior pleasure in Christ. Superior pleasure in Christ, listening to and following the directions that the Lord has set before us, staying on the path, even when it doesn't make a lot of sense. 
We look at verse 18 again. The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. What does that mean when you think about it? As the sun rises, darkness does what? It fades away. Praise the Lord, we actually have an illustration of that today. The sun rises and the darkness fades away. The, the light comes up and it's brighter and it's brighter and it's brighter. And what it does is it shines down on your life and it begins to expose potential sins and things in your life that you didn't even know necessarily were there. You're about to run into a, a pothole, a sinkhole, and you're like, oh, the light is now shining upon it and now you see it clearly and you begin to be able to take a different direction. You're, you're made aware but as we walk with Christ, we, we commit ourselves to studying God's word. We want to know how that bright light can get bigger. We, we study God's word. We're, we commit ourselves to sitting under the teaching of God's word, continually praying and asking him to reveal hazards in our life that could steer us off course. God, what are the potential hazards in my life? What are they? And then we get wise people to speak truths into our life, to help us stay on course. The brighter our path then will become. So we walk the path. As we walk the path, as we grow in wisdom, we become more and more satisfied in Christ. And then the areas where we are vulnerable become more and more clear. It's another reason why the Christian faith is never meant to be lived in isolation. It's not something we do on our own. We need to be in community with one another. We cannot do this by ourselves. We need one another to speak these truths into one another's lives. But if we choose to walk the path of the wicked, verse 9, it is like deep darkness. They do not know over what they stumble Right there in front of you and you're getting hit one thing after another. Stepping right into it. Why? Because you're not being attentive. You're not being intentional. So what does this look like for you? Maybe you don't know. And that's where I would encourage you to ask a wise person around you who knows you, who's gonna speak the difficult truths into your life. And you may not like what he or she has to say. But what they tell you may very well save your life. We have to be attentive to the hazards that are before us. We have to take the proper steps to ensure that they don't knock us off course. And if they do knock us off course, like Mario Kart style, anybody play Mario Kart? Yeah, Mario Kart, you're driving along. Yes, I've got this. And here comes egg out of the sky. Boom, it just blows you up. And you're like, oh, you just quit the race. No, what do you do? You keep going. And you hit the mushroom if you can, right? And you keep going. You go faster. You try to win. And then you get hit with an egg that comes out of nowhere from another side. A banana. What do you do? You keep going. You keep going. You keep your eyes focused on Jesus. You keep trusting the fact that he bought you by the, his blood. That you were never good enough to earn that salvation. And you can never be bad enough to lose it but keep focused on Christ. You don't want to be bad. You don't want to disobey. You want to be focused on Christ all the way. You're focused on the prize. And then one day, you cross that finish line.
Point number three. Don't deviate from the path. Don't deviate from the path. It's verse 25. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. You're walking the road with blinders on. You're pondering the path that you're on, verse 26, because you want to know, hey, what path am I on? Am I on the right path? Because we're all on a path leading somewhere. Which path are you on today? Which path are you on? Don't swerve to the left. Don't swerve to the right. Keep all your eyes focused on Christ. Keep running the race. Stay faithful to the end. Keep the faith. And one day when you cross that finish line, you will hear the words that we all long to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. As we're welcomed home. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for creating a path of righteousness. For making it possible for us to have a home to come home to. So first we say thank you. And second, we ask that you will continue to carry us to the end. To remain faithful and not to go off course. Increase our satisfaction in you, our delight in you. That we may be satisfied in you above all else. Convict us of of sin in our life. Let the, the light shine brighter so we will see even clearer the path and the obstacles before us. Keep us, sustain us, and do it all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.